Hello, <laughs> welcome to the Creighton Crowbar. This is episode 596. I'm Philippa War, and joining me today is Chris Thurston. It's episode 270. I was close. Yep, close enough. <laughs> it's the 2nd of February. Is it? 2019. Yeah, oh, cool. believe so. Mm. Because that was the date on the milk. And I was like, hmm, need to throw that out soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> we could drink it. You could, you could, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just the, it's health bar slashing red. Oh. Well, I mean, but surely you go by smell rather than. Oh, yeah, date. ultimately. But it's a helpful, you know, it treats you to pay attention to the smell as soon as you see that date coming. Shouldn't have to explain sell by dates, but really. Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of things that are past their sell by date, must apologize for this episode being slightly late this week. We had a bit of a availability, uh, not happening event and, um, <laughs> then it snowed a lot. Oh yeah. And you'd think that would confine us to the house and kind of it did. So we didn't record the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not helping. Anyway, we've done it now and I uh, hope you've enjoyed it. That's it. Uh, no. I went out. You did? We've yeah. both been out. It was nice. Lots of birds. And you can see them because all the leaves are dead. So they're kind of just like hanging out. <laughs> Nowhere to hide now. I know. Idiots. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Perfect weather for me, Pip. Good. Mm. So what we're going to do on this episode of The Great Incredible is much what we would always do, which is talk about computer games. <sighs> no, no. Don't be like that. <laughs> Why don't you start, Pip? What have you been playing oh, lately? Well, this got aggressive, Chris. That's, <laughs> Why don't a... you start? <laughs> that is not how I said that at all, and I believe the fact that we've recorded this will bear me out. It's what you meant, though. No, I just thought you'd be a logical place to start because we were just talking about very cold environments, I've weren't we? I played Subnautica Below Zero. Yeah. <laughs> it's in early access. It only just came out. I've already finished the story that's in there so far. <laughs> And they're baby penguins. Baby they're called penglings, I think. But yeah, and they've got like heads that open up, kind of like if a puffin beak was also your head. That went it's from... very cute, oh. but also a little bit. Um, what's the thing where its face divides into three, and it might eat you? Um, and give me some context. Possibly in a horror film. Oh, um, oh, I know what I'm thinking of. The it it's Stranger, Stranger Things, Things monster. Yeah, Maybe. The Stranger Things or monster. Or Night Nightman. Nightman. Um, <laughs> Dota. <laughs> a Night game Stalker. I have played for <laughs> two thousand. Fighter of the Dayman. Um, uh, yeah, Night Stalker from Dota Two would be yeah. the other thing you think. So they're uh, kind of like that, but cute. Mm. Mm, yes. So when you say they're called penglings, yeah, it's a bit like. Have you seen that thing about Benedict Cumberbatch not being able to say the word penguin? Can he not? No. Why Famously, he? he says penguin. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe he doesn't say that all the time, but there's one entire documentary where he can't say the word. Penguin. Surely it's harder to say penguin. Well, I, I don't. This Does is, he know what the word is? Has he spelled it right? I think as he's well? been taken to task sufficiently now that he, oh. you know, he he's been taught the error of his ways. I see. But I it's see. it's worth looking up because it's very funny that yeah. he... That, well, it's very funny that nobody involved corrected him. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So what? this is, to clarify and back things up a little bit, this is an expansion for Subnautica. It's right? an expand alone, I think you'll find. Oh. You can buy it separately. Mm. Or you could buy one thing on the Steam store and one thing on the Epic store. <laughs> <laughs> Straddle the industry's hottest divide. If you want to. Mm -mm. You might not. I don't know. Anyway, so that's a thing that happened. Um, it is set a year after the uh, events of Subnautica Prime. Mm. Um, and as such, it's a bit of a weird one to talk about because I think everything that the plot seems to hinge on so far is kind of spoilers right. for reveals for the for the first game so mm. uh, and i really would say if you have any interest in below zero like i think you'll love subnautica so play that first yeah so it's a bit of a weird one i had to figure out how to actually write some first impressions of it without ruining it for people mm. which is kind of interesting some fundamentals aren't spoilers will be the, the same though, right? You are in you are the water. On an 
a mostly aquatic planet um, at the behest of a corporation called Altera and stuff has happened but the core gameplay is the same so mm. it's very much about surviving in those waters and gradually building up supplies of things and um, tools and equipment and improving your diving suit capabilities and things so that you can gradually go further and deeper and survive mm. more extreme environments and things um i think there's only the one sort of main um starter biome that's in there at the moment it is very you know very much in early access uh but there is it, it was surprisingly chunky i think because i mm. i remember the early access period for the original game and it was very much like you know you had slightly older artwork you had or mm. you know like not polished artwork for a bunch of time you had um like placeholder stuff you had um like the the story wasn't in place for a billion squillion years you know mm. it was it was only towards the end that 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 materialized so i it, when you boot it up and it tells you this is a very early access thing expect bugs expect performance issues all of that stuff um i wasn't expecting an experience to be as robust as it is mm. it, it did feel very much like more like a vertical slice um, there were some things where, you know, like the, the, the markers of not finished, like, um, there were some placeholder things and there were, um, bits where, you know, that thing where the subtitles don't quite match the yeah. voice lines because mm. something has been changed and it hasn't been updated on one side to reflect it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was things like that, but, um, and some of the animations were a bit off, you know, that kind of mm. thing. But overall, like it, it felt exactly right in terms of it is subnautica but in a, a different it's called below zero because you're in an arctic type region mm. or antarctic perhaps um and so it's more about seeing a lot of so the the loops are familiar and then you've got a mixture of familiar and unfamiliar fish and plants and things like that so mm. it's it feels very much like you are in the same world but in a slightly different part of it which is really nice mm. really like it and if you are terrified of the sea this will not help you in any so way shape or form i was going to ask about that because i uh, i met uh, tom jubit who mm. wrote subnautica and uh, i said I sort of explained um, Ocean Willies to him, which is something we were talking about a year ago on this podcast when Subnautica mm. 1 came out. Uh, that fear of the deep ocean or the fear of large things under the water, particularly. I don't understand that at all. Yeah, I get it. I think John Roberts, this is a bunch of people, a lot of people, yeah. a lot of people, there are dozens of us. I only found this out when I was evangelizing this game and people would look at me and say, but that sounds like a horror game. Mm. And I'm like, no, it isn't because I can't play horror games. I'm too scared. So this clearly can't be a horror yeah, game. No, because you're not afraid of the terrifying uh, ocean leviathan that could eat you mm. without even noticing that it was eating you. I think the only sort of fear I've had in those games has been more the jump scare type thing. Mm. Like if something has properly sneaked up behind you and you don't know. But just seeing huge creatures and, you know, it's, there's a sense of wonder or, ooh, I wonder what that is, which has definitely got me killed in game more than once. Um, so there's, there's, I won't spoil the creatures for people, but there is, there are some, it, I won't spoil them in terms of looks, but mm. there are some that are really fascinating. Like there was a real, a really nice surprise, uh, which I then got close to and it punched me in the face. <laughs> um, and there was another thing that I thought, ooh, I'll pick that up because food. Um, and I, it either stung me or stabbed me. Not sure. <laughs> either way, didn't go well. <laughs> um, Shivved. And, but the there is another fish. one where you can just sort of huff on it for air, <laughs> which was quite fun. And it's a fish. Yeah. Damn. So that was kind of cool. Um, yeah, just sort of swimming mm. around. Um, I realized you can pick up the tiny penguin things, um, but I don't know what to do with them and I don't know how to release them. So I basically have a box of penguins in my habitat. 
and I'm not sure what to do about They're it. They're fine. Just don't look in the box. Yeah. I mean, so to, to finish the thing I was going to say, and when I explained the, the, the Ocean Willies um, to Tom Jubert, he said, I shouldn't play the expansion mm. on account of the fact that the idea is if you suffered the Ocean Willies from Subnautica Prime, mm. then they're back and they're willier than ever. Mm. Would you agree with that assessment without spoiling things? I think I'm, well, one, you might be the wrong person to I'm judge. not the person to ask because I'm just sat there with, you know, childlike delight in the face yeah, of death. Childlike delight you know. in a bag full of penguins. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> um, so to be honest, my, my reaction when I see something that would possibly scare you would be to go over and go, what are you? Can I pick mm. you up? Can I pet you? <laughs> I think if, if it's the kind of thing that I'm thinking of, it'd be too big for you to have that thought. The Ocean Willies tends to refer so, to large, yeah, looming creatures. And in the OG, you had... Uh, Tons of that. Well, but also some things that would hurt you and some things that wouldn't, but yeah. that were just enormous, mm. which was kind of cool. Um, but, okay, so I would say that I haven't seen anything that is massive in my in my explorations, but there are also lots of things like... Um, like twisty ocean cave systems where you can genuinely get really lost. Oh no. Um, and yeah. I know that some people, th- that I'm desperately afraid fear. of drowning in a narrow passage underwater. Yeah. yeah. Really, that's, Whereas I'm just mm. kind of like, I, sh- oh, I could go back, but I mean, yeah. that thing looks interesting. It's, it's funny because I mean, I, I imagine we'll return to it on a future podcast because I, uh, I, w- I don't want to talk about it loads on this one. Um, but, um, I'm playing lots of uh, Resi 2. I'm loving it, and it might be nope. uh, certainly early game of the year for me. And actually, I don't find it that scary. I find it very atmospheric, but not that scary. But the, that game is fundamentally about being chased around a big house by a very briskly walking man, <laughs> which I think would terrify you. Yeah, I wouldn't be okay with that at all. Whereas, and this, the weird thing is, is that I've genuinely been stuck in a small place just by the edge of the sea as the tide came in. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe... Either I'm just like, well, I survived that. I'm basically bulletproof. You also got stuck in that bin in in a forest in winter by yourself that one time. No, I didn't. I could have done. Oh, yeah. You d- yeah. And I just, I, f- I didn't finish climbing into it. And it wasn't a bin. <laughs> it was a container, a lorry container thing. It just didn't have a ladder to get back out again. And I didn't have phone signal. So I decided <laughs> not to die alone in a wood on Christmas Day. Thank you. <laughs> It's, Using uh, it's still, the power uh, of my mighty brain. <laughs> <laughs> nope, this is the bin. I don't get in. Yeah, but when I was little, we had um, there. There's a lot of harbour where I grew up, and so some of the things were, you know, when they try and stop um, the water like eroding it or like mm. coming over it by putting loads of those, you know, dynamited lumps of rock, you know, mm. around it. Um, but when you're a kid, you think this is delightful. So you kind of go scrambling around them. And I have legitimately been trapped in, in parts of that previously having mm. scrambled into it and not be able to quite scramble back out again as the tide came. In. The thing is, yeah, you, you left that experience apparently immune to terror of the ocean, but I, I almost drowned when I was 13 in the sea, uh, mm. quite, quite badly. And uh, I, I am very afraid of, of drowning as a consequence of that. So it's, I don't, I'm, what I'm saying is I'm afraid of pike. <laughs> if that helps sure I won't there's go some swimming, pike-like I fish won't in, go swimming in water where I can't see the bottom because I have this deep terror of pike that might eat me That's... and I, I know that that doesn't really it, it wouldn't be true of the uh, actual sea because pike are you know <laughs> land fish if you will you know what you know rivers, not, not you salt water basically. yeah <laughs> <laughs> rivers you know land sea <laughs> yeah, well, anyway um but i yeah so i'm more kind of but that comes from that misunderstanding of pike and pike you know where i sort of thought that the fish was a six foot long thing that could kill you but the That's fish is about a three foot long thing and the pike that is kind of a halberd is a sharp pointy thing. That's an inanimate object, yeah. And it's about six foot long. So I thought that pike were sort of bigger than a grown man and could, like, (laughs) eat you and kill you. (laughs) Often, you know, wielded into battle by a phalanx. Do you know when I found that Mm. out, that they weren't? Uh, I'm going to guess 27. Last year. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 34. (laughs) Incredible. 
It's like when I discovered that every centre park doesn't have a, a big dome over it. Oh, uh, you thought it was the Eden Project. I, I knew a lot of people. Was, so, no, because there okay. is, they do have the dome, don't they? But it's where they have the swimming pool and stuff. Like, mm. it's it's just a part of it, whereas everything else is outdoors and you have to be rained on. I I just thought they were all like that, like 100%, like some kind of weird Bioshocky folly. <laughs> but that was I was incorrect. And, you know, the more you know at the end of the day. Mm. Um, yeah, so uh, would you, having, having sort of, um, uh, gone through the main critical path of mm-hmm. Below Zero now, um, did you get the impression that you got through it because it's not finished yet or because, you know? Oh, so it, oh, it, it's the only, um, the beginning bits are in place. Oh, I moment. see. So, so you it's not yeah. like I finished the whole campaign in I a see, day. I see. It's the, it, it tells you that, everything from this point on is very bare bones and it might be hopelessly broken. And if you do carry on, it's kind of at your own risk. So whatever. Right. Um, so, but already things that have happened are like really interesting and sort of, there have been a few twists and, and, but it weirdly, it's enough to make me think that I don't want to play any more early access Mm. because there's already enough story in there that I, would probably ideally want to experience any more of it with the full game available to me. Yeah. Um, whereas in the, in the first game, it was like, cause I, I went back a few times during the early access period, but it was very much something that I could absolutely mine out the, um, the survival side of it. Yeah. But because the story wasn't really there and I wasn't doing anything story related, mm. it I could go into that when it got to the 1.0 release and it felt fresh and it didn't feel like I'd ruined it for myself by already having so much time mm. spent in there. Yeah. Whereas I think this one, there's more of a risk of that. So what I'm going to do is I've... It, it will be difficult because I really loved what I played so far, but I am going to step back and I will probably uninstall it just so that I don't, you know, mm. accidentally find myself going, Oh, I'll just, I'll just check it. I'll just see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I waited all, I waited all the way through till Subnautica actually came out before I played it and I was glad that I did. Um, did you ever get to the end of the? I think so. Or did you get scared? I got really far. Mm. I can't remember exactly. Maybe I didn't see the credits, actually, thinking mm. about it. I should go back and finish it before Pro Zero comes out. I, I was pretty, like, I think I'd finished, like, the tech tree, if that makes yeah. sense. Like, there was nothing else for me to build. It was just... Okay, so you had stuff. all the bits of the machinery and, you know, yeah, tech. I, and- I had, yeah, I was building the thing you build. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I was almost done with that. So yeah, pretty far. But yeah, no, as I said, you know, it was the, it was uh, my game of the year for last year, just even on, on the strength Yay. of that 60 hours, however long. Very good. Looking mm. forward to, I'm actually in a way, cause there's a lot of things I really like at the moment. Um, I'm quite glad below zero is early access rather than another thing on, on the list. I think, mm. I think I will wait and that's not a, you know, a slight on it at all. It's just because yeah. I had a good experience with waiting for the first one as well. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where if you have an interest in that and haven't played the original Subnautica, play the original Subnautica and yeah. see how you get yeah. on. Especially if you're a bit concerned, you might be afraid of the deep sea. Mm. Um, it's often on, it's, it's not free on the Epic Store anymore, but it tends to be discounted during Steam sales. And I think it's a certain percentage off while people are interested in the, um, yeah in the expand alone as well so like so i would say definitely play it before you play the other if you have an interest Mm. in it and for anyone else like i think if you didn't get on with the first one you won't get on with this one because you know obviously it'll depend on your reasoning but yeah um and if you enjoyed the early access period and whatever you contributed to that uh this one looks like it will be you know the same kind of shape Mm. and if you are like me wait (laughs) (laughs) because you you will not have the self-control you need to remove it from your hard drive you need to sit on your hands you need to leave the house (laughs) and electrify your keyboard (laughs) (laughs) that is all my news from below the sea (laughs) okay good 
I could segue in two different directions from uh, from how sunless skies. Oh, it wasn't the one I was going to do because I had a funnier one, but never mind. Oh no, <laughs> no, <laughs> it's fine. You do. No, 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 no. <laughs> the segue has happened. Segue going to be? It was. I've been playing a game with a lot of pike men in it. Oh, okay. <laughs> but then you didn't segue into that, like when we were talking about pike. I but suppose. I didn't want to cut you off. Oh. Because <laughs> I would have been rudely shifting the attention to a different game when okay. you still have more to say. Well, which one do you want to talk about then? Well, let's talk about Sun in the Skies because we've both played it. So this is uh, also a game about... not and then di- I can leave. <laughs> <laughs> not dying in the ocean this time. Mm. Uh, dying in a Victorian idea about space, really. Mm. Cosmic horror. Um, yeah, so this is the new uh, Fail Better game. It feels very much like a sequel to Sun in the Sea, which makes sense because of the name. But to the extent that... Uh, Some of the Sea was a spin-off of Fallen London and all, they all share a universe. This feels very much like, a, uh, uh, and, and in doing so, Some of the Sea invented a lot of ways of telling those kinds of stories and, and structures to build around them. This Wasn't feels it very that much Queen like a, Victoria got reap mad and moved below the sea. Uh, well, no, London, one. not in the first one, because the first one's just set outside Fallen London. Ah, okay. So like, uh, Fallen London was still fallen. Mm. And was next to the, the undersea. Uh, and then you went to explore it. And so there's lots of new mechanics invented today to explore a different part of that world. Um, Sunless Skies is set in space some time later in the story, but mechanically is very close to Sunless Sea. So mm. it feels more like a direct sequel. Uh, it's, you know, much improved and, and evolved in a lot of ways, but it feels very much like a, a successor, um, to that game. Similar in that way to Subnautica and Below Zero then, like. Yeah, although I think it would be, I think enough has changed for it not to qualify as an expansion. Cause obviously, oh, for sure. yeah, cause, um, yeah. But like uh, it's interesting that both are sort of so recognizably their thing. Yeah, right. Like there's a template that was established with, mm. with both for sure. Um, and so like in Sun of the Sea, you, uh, basically go on expeditions between sort of hub ports, um, instead of, uh, riding a boat riding a boat sailing a boat um you are flying a train <laughs> you can ride a boat and fly a train um you're flying a train engine it's also basically a little spaceship uh which you fly around with the wazd keys and uh fire cannons at uh naughty naughty wood lice and sometimes pirates um and then you fly to different ports um sort of and while you're there engage in sort of text-based sort of stories and, and make choices and kind of experience a lot of uh, really lovely atmospheric writing. And that is the kind of the, the structure of these games. And that is as true for Sunless Sea. Um, I really, I've played six hours of Skies mm. so far. I don't know how much you have played of it. I have played. So it's interesting because, again, I played it while it was in early access. Mm. So I did a preview. And so I have a huge chunk of time, but then they reworked the art quite substantially, especially the lighting. Um, and also now it's uh, certainly in the area that you start in called the reach. Mm. You have um, sort of predestined or predefined pathways far more. Yeah. It used to be that everything was um pretty much just empty space but with asteroids and things dotting around and yeah. ports so you could actually far more easily go from you know as the crow flies almost mm-hmm. um whereas now it's very much that the asteroids have become these big areas of rocky uh, boundary yeah. basically and you have to go between them these winding routes it's very much that, a maze yeah. which whereas whereas some of the weirdly even though some of the sea was islands dotting an ocean whereas um space in some of the skies is very much a maze of rock like if you if you describe it as space i think it's not that that's misleading because it's certainly kind of where it's set but mm-hmm. um people never really refer to it as space in the game it's always referred to as the sky and it's very much based on a like victorian um, sort of science fiction conception of what space might be like. Mm. So it's very much unlike, um, you know, any other space game. There is wind in space and air. You have a bat that you can let out the window of your space train to I fly love around. That so yeah. much. Like, 
because when you when you obtain it um or i don't know if there's another way of doing it but um you rescue it from a ship that's about to fall mm. apart that you scavenge from and um it basically acts as if it's doing you a favor yeah. and tries to haggle and then you have to threaten to leave it <laughs> and, behind. and, and it, it remains a dick for the rest of the time it spends with you i love that bat so much and i kind of i really love how the writing of the bat tells you a lot about the game you mm. know like um i think there was one time i sent it out and it was you know the bat returns in what can only be described as a right mood yeah. <laughs> and it's like it's so such a british turn of phrase and such a perfect yeah. you know slightly mardy kind of <laughs> your bats in a strop uh is it like as with other games it's, it's very efficiently written which takes a lot of doing um mm. to kind of get the mood across as does as quickly as it can the thing so i didn't i reviewed some of the sea way back when and i think it got loads of packed i never actually played the expansion shamefully Unto Z. The Unto Z I expansion. really liked it. Yeah. yeah. Submariner, that but was it. I, I know that I played the console versions, but a lot of my uh, issues, like, I, I re- like, I've always really loved the, the writing atmosphere of Hellbetter's games. I've always had just some problems with the, me- the basic mechanics and the loops and the kind of, the, 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 mm. the, the trading element and the collecting element. Um, yeah. And, um, partly because I think, you know, I think they are fine ways of gating your access to stories by, re- by showing you clearly what kind of qualities you need in order to, to be able to choose certain options or whatever. But um, it can sometimes lead to like uh, farming of story loops for sort of particular mm. assets and things that for me took me out of the world. This um, And the other issue I had with Sun the Sea was that actually for a game about text, it's sort of text presentation wasn't great, at least initially. It was very much like a small window on the screen, mm. whereas really that's 90% of your investment in the game is in that window. Now that all of that stuff is a lot better. So it's a lot, um, I've found that the, um, well, just the UI is just miles, 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 miles better. Um, but also the amount of time I haven't found myself, I found myself making comfortable amounts of progress mm. and feeling like I'm feeling the threat and the danger and the things they want you to feel, but also feeling like I'm getting somewhere and, and, you know, moving closer to the next goal and stuff, um, without ever having to, um maybe do repetitive loops of content that i've already read they, uh, which was a problem i had before they had a uh dev blog ages ago now um about how those core loops were mm. being tweaked and things so it was very much obviously a, a an issue that had cropped up sufficiently from the previous game yeah. that they wanted to try and do different things with it and also um I one of the things that you find quite early on is that you then have access to a bank vault in this one so mm. rather than having to just traipse around the ocean with everything you want to have about your person you can also put some of it in your bank vault and access it from some of the other ports yeah uh, when yeah you i've got to. that so that kind of thing has also been just a little quality of life yeah i think quality of life is the right word for it like and, and that stuff I, I really appreciate because um it's it's, an, it's always been an interesting tension with those games that mm. you know you want the resources to be important and the things that happen to you on the road between or in the space between stories to be important mm. but at the same time i do think there's a, a a big difference in in how interesting your interactions with the game are when you're out just sort of pootling about and when you're in a port exploring a new story mm. you know it, it, it's not it, its strength is not as a fly between ports trading things to make more money game you yeah. know if, if that's what you want elite exists and you know or something like that it isn't but once you develop a sense of the world and a fondness for it or yeah. you know a, a sense of one of the things that i didn't mind and didn't want to lose from the earlier game was that sense of going out and coming back so many times it was it was annoying at points but it also meant that you had such a definite sense of the area you knew incredibly well because you would navigate every single time and it felt like home because it was so familiar and there was a boredom there at points but it was also you know that that built in some ways that sense 
And then you would go out to an area of the map that you didn't know and suddenly something would be slightly different or it would just be an area that you didn't know well. Mm. And I think that one of the the things I wanted to not lose, and I, I don't think it has, is that sense of familiarity versus the unknown. Um, yeah, totally. Which is good. I think, I think, I feel like, um, and it has been a while since I played on the sea, but I feel like, and this is a really good thing. It feels slightly more forgiving in terms of mm. how far you can get with a certain amount of fuel, um, and supplies and that kind of thing. To be fair, I, partly because I'm not reviewing it, I, um, I whacked it down one notch on everything right. because I, I know that I want to revel in those stories rather than feel that mm. tension more. Yeah. And so I figured, do you know what? I'm going to put not down to the most forgiving, but I thought fuel will last slightly longer and my guns will target slightly more auto good, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just put everything on normal. Um, mm. so I'm, I'm judging it based on the just literally not making any decisions set of options. Oh, for sure. Um, but, but I guess like, I like the resource gaming feeling slightly more forgiving. Like I have had times where I felt, felt like I'm a little bit far out or, you know, a bit, but, mm. um, but I haven't actually been in a real disaster yet, which, I have. <laughs> which is, I mean, compared to, you know, cause I think, um, with Sun the Sea, I think it probably was calibrated a bit too far the other way so that you did, you know, it, it was nerve wracking to go too far off the edge of, of the map. But the, the tension there, and, and I think the, the thing that hurt the game somewhat was that off the edge of the map is where the writing you haven't seen is. Mm. And so you, you know, safety also means getting to the point where you're skipping text. And if you're skipping text in a fail better game, you're skipping this mm. kind of huge amount of its, you know, um, you're skipping the point. You're skipping the point. Um, so that's all like, I, I don't sound too, too critical of the previous games, but to say that when I came to this, that was what I was looking to see fixed. Like I wanted to be able to get the appropriate atmosphere, but also, um, make progress and and discover things and i have been i think i don't know uh, some of the sea was to to an extent its map layout was procedurally generated yeah this I one isn't i don't think well or so is it? i think uh and i would need to check this but the original would have a sense of basically um so you would have the uh you'd have london right yeah, not in sun, not in skies, uh, not straight away. It's no, New no. Winchester, straight away. No, no, but in sun the sea, sun the sea. Yeah, you had London, and you had like the areas around that, and then I think other things were broadly, uh, they were assigned, you know, where roughly they would be on the map, but there was change possible within that. Yeah, you know, so something that was supposed to be quite northerly and cold would still be northerly and cold, but where exactly it was in relation to other things would change. Yeah. And I think in, um, I think in Sunless Skies, what they've done is, um, you start off with New Winchester and stuff, um, which is broadly in the center. It's in the center ring of this circular mm. space called the Reach. Whoops. Um, and then you have other key ports and things. And I think that they are given a designation of, you know, how far towards the center or the circumference they are. Right. But, they are then, you know, okay. distributed yeah. around. And that's partly why I got into uh, a bit of a pickle because, um, I had played at uh, a demo, mm. um, event and in my head, I'd already got familiar with, okay, Port Prosper is sort of to the northeast. Yeah. And I will head there because that's one of the first missions you get. That's kind of part of the onboarding experience, mm. I guess. Um, but in the in the save file for for my own save file at home when I got the game, um, the 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 file that I have at the moment generated Port Prosper somewhere over to the <laughs> northwest. Right. And I'm like, no. <laughs> so I'd sort of gone off and I kind of couldn't find it. And then I thought, oh, I'll send the bat out. And the bat was like, well, I found stuff, but it's not what you're looking for. I'm like, <laughs> don't know what else you want from me. So um, yeah, so that I got into a bit of a 
um a worrying loop of having just enough money and like just eking out what i had and mm. you know getting rid of some crew and and trying to scavenge things and have only just brought myself back into basic um you know the ability to uh supply up and then head mm. off again um it it was a fraught time <laughs> um and then i in the in the version that has been released i don't know what other stuff in other areas looks like because i mm. they could have completely overhauled that as well as far as i know yeah i've out just got to the point just, but i've just got to the point now where i can leave the reach I, so um i'm looking forward to seeing mm. what else um, do you have a favorite port by the way of um, the ones that you've found so far possibly uh titania because which that was is my favorite. yeah which is a port built into a giant flower uh that is periodically just raided by bees space bees but it's also it's an art deco flower rather mm. than a, a an actual floral growth it's like this man-made yeah thing it's this beautiful sculpture so how much time you know how much time have you spent with the release version now so the release version, I think I've only managed to put in about three hours because it was an evening thing because mm. I'm not doing anything on it for work. Um, but I'm, I was genuinely excited when I saw the snow because I was kind of like, oh, I could spend some time doing this. And then I went and harassed birds instead because I'm a terrible person. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that's, I think that's probably tomorrow's task is just scrubbing around the reach, trying to find things and trying to see also for me to see what's different. Cause mm. I got pretty far, I would say with the, you know, just with, with my own sense of familiarity with it, with the, early access version of about a year ago hmm. and so to me there's also that kind of ooh, you know i wonder at what point i'm going to start hitting things that aren't at least somewhat familiar which yeah. is kind of cool um something i was going to ask you was i know that you um weren't keen on the way combat worked in the first one so i'm mm. kind of interested in how you are faring with that it's like been blasting things out of the sky yeah and like <laughs> it's it's really easy like it's it was never it's never a difficult so very <laughs> early versions on the sea had a bit of a, a wonky combat system it's never like um it's pretty easy and kind of um uh it's fine like i'm not like a huge um for me it's 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 not really the point to the extent that the point of the combat encounter is kind of the decision you make afterwards when you go through the wreckage or the corpse or whatever it is you've killed mm. and make decisions about what, what kind of risks you're going to take and about also, the wreckage if it was a particular kind of ship um you can ally yourself with a faction by collecting up its number plate yeah and i've been studiously thing. neutral so far kind of interesting um, but yeah, like for me, the, the interesting decisions are made around combat in these games rather than during, cause you know, you basically, you have like a heat map bar, which fills up when you fire, you can strafe, um, to kind of shunt yourself in either direction, at least early on. Like I, I found some scary stuff looking at the edge of the map, um, that mm. I've just basically run away from cause it's usually the best option, me too. but you know, I don't want to die. Mm. Um, but, um, but like the fights against bad trains, uh, mm. are, are, like I've, I've never found them particularly scary. Uh, in I fact, ended up covered in bees. <laughs> yeah, you get chased by bees. Um, I found that one thing is um, early on, I think, and the combat didn't necessarily help a huge amount with this. I struggled a bit to kind of um, place myself in the world because it is it, like these games have always um, had like strangeness lurking at the fringe. And mm. I think, I mean, even the beginning of some Fallen London is is immediately introduces you to how strange that world is but it also but i think that this is the the that's almost like it's a weird thing to say when the first game is like london's fallen into the ground because of bats and the second one is sail this underground ocean um but this is like the most detached from a kind of terrestrial recognizable life um mm. this that these games have gotten um and even small things for me initially like the fact that the train uh, to be clear, it's basically just the engine of a train. Mm. And rather than the back connecting to carriages that the engine would pull, the, the back is just a big engine itself. And so uh, it's it's weird to me. Like I spent a while looking at it. This, maybe this is the weirdest like hair to split, but I spent ages looking at it, figuring out where the people are because mm. the front of a train engine is 
just engine, right? Like, oh, where, where, okay. where are the people on I this? I think I just think of it more as like a car, you know? Yeah, or... for sure. But it's, it's shaped like a steam yeah. train engine. So, and it makes steam train noises. So I, I just try to figure out like, wait, where am I? Because. But the thing is, because it's a 2D plane and you're looking down from the top, it could extend away from you very, <laughs> it's very deep. deep. <laughs> well, so I eventually realized, oh, it's just, it's really big. And cause if you mm. think about where the engine is, if the engineer's cab is thought of as like, that's the entire top deck of a boat, yeah. then suddenly it kind of makes more sense and but, also if you look at it in relation to the ports that you visit and how many people those yeah and how massive thing, right? the sh- how massive the train is yeah it's like oh it's a massive train that makes sense um well it makes sense but like even the fact that you know the 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 the, the bumpers on the front of the train are cannons like mm. it's just like it's sort of faintly it is a sort of and, and coupled with the fact that its version of space is um it's it's just really strange to consider and it, it's that's a, a wonderful thing to get into and you kind of sink into it like mm-hmm. the fact that you enter sort of um it has this um you know sense of the edges of this sort of you know crumbling empire and you you find yourself in this like like leafy space jungle mm. you know the mist and the wind kind of buffeting you and and that is a, a really strange thing to to, to explain in the context of this is a technically a game of flying a spaceship around and it's not really it's it's more dreamlike than that but then initially i, I found uh, you know the very beginning of the game when you're kind of learning to fight and shoot with the train there was a, a quite a strong sense of like this is you know this is like a a dream thomas the tank engine is having i'm not sure where mm-hmm. i fit into this and and once you start getting into the ports and meeting the characters and letting that world kind of like bubble up around you it becomes a lot easier to i think to to sort of enjoy the atmosphere of it and it's still a really good delivery mechanism for just sort of self-contained environments that hang off high concept which i really like i think i just it never that stuff has never bothered me and i think maybe because um the the idea always felt like almost you it, it doesn't care about the last hundred years of space exploration or whatever if you see what i sure. mean and so like for me it feels so much more like um you know when people would write speculative fiction about you know oh well maybe in space this or maybe in space that and yeah i'm not saying that you you don't also think of it like that but i think it i found it a lot more easy to switch off the parts that don't necessarily a hundred percent fit you know it's like- a lot simpler than that honestly the reason i was struggling to connect at first and it's because what like i just couldn't connect what i was being shown to what i was being told no but that's what i mean it's like i i just i think i'd at that point enough of it was fiction that mm. being shown a, a marker and also i think it always it, i don't know because you're sort of looking at it almost as if it's this fantasy map you know mm. like a the celestial map that someone drew who you know doesn't have access to hyper um specific measurements and things Mm. it's very much i i think i was fine to take the the engine as a cipher for something sure i mean like when you use a counter yeah absolutely and that's why for me that and that's how i got onto the subject because that's why for me the kind of um the fiddly sort of uh twitch um, specificity of the combat system where you're literally slight, like doing sick power slides in your space train in order to land a cannon shot on an enemy. Um, I don't, I don't mind it, but it doesn't quite fit for me because yeah, I think the best thing to do is to see a lot of it is sort of abstract and representative, whereas that's very specific and requires you to think about the facing of your counter and its speed and, and momentum and so on. So that, that has been a bit of a tension for me, but I'm, I'm very, very much past, you know, that now and, and really enjoying myself with it. Particularly because I think it's always, uh, and it's, um, I had this issue when I was talking about Sun of the Sea originally as well. Like, it's really hard to explain why the, the writing is so evocative and the world is so, cause if you describe it, you're kind of just giving things away that are best expressed in the ways they are phrased in the game because that took a lot of time and, you know, expertise to, to embody in the way that it's embodied. I think. Perhaps some of it is that because we're so used to reading things on the internet and the internet, the, um, it prioritizes simple communication in a lot of instances, you know, like news writing. If you start using polysyllabic words too much, you risk alienating part mm. of the audience or you risk the accusation of being overly 
you know, of being elitist or being overly flowery and, and not communicating what you need to get across, especially things like headlines or the the first paragraph of a news article or whatever. Mm. Um, whereas I think in uh, Fail Better's games, there's a genuine delight in finding the exact right word, no matter how obscure or, mm. you know, uh, willfully elitist it might seem in any other context mm. so i think it's actually about the precision of language and really reveling in it yeah it's yeah it's it's got a great turn of phrase like and i think that's and it's obviously the work of uh, many writers um but it's got a really coherent um yeah i think yeah i think you're right it's got a really coherent attention to um you know nothing is ever um not hasn't not, nothing is ever inconsiderately phrased like everything is is sort of really really finely honed in order to kind of like create a really often kind of gruesome image like it's 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 rare having played a bunch of horror things recently it's rare that it's delivered simply through a particular phrase a particular way of phrasing an injury or or describing a sensation that's um really affecting there's also it's also something i think is common to us on the sea as well maybe from london is like they're very elegiac games like they're they're, they're sad without there are lots of funny sort of moments in them but there's something sort of um impersonal and sort of um yeah i think sort of melancholic about them like sometimes in a big kind of bombastic kind of romantic way but they're definitely sort of uh happy to to keep you at a remove and to kind of just sort of encourage you to feel things in a way that i don't know i can think of loads of other games that that do like the the refusal to name characters for example just to have you or very rarely name characters um and to have you kind of have everyone sort of like uh be uh sort of i mean like first name kind of yeah, well, you're often meeting, you know, the, the classic fail better thing is, you mm. know, the, the ornery ticket collector, never Steve, the mm. pissed off ticket collector. Um, like this, you know, for me, that always creates this sense of like these characters are like being viewed to like frosty glass or something. Like you get, a, you get both a really intimate sense of them because the writing is so precise, but also the game sort of keeps you at this remove from them, which I find quite, it's quite poetic. It's, it's, it's and very also, elegant. I mean, the senses, oh, not the senses, you are as part of the game always on the move and yeah. so the lives of people in the ports play out with or without you if you mm. see what i mean and and you you get to poke your head around the door every now and again and see what's changed or pick someone up and plonk them down somewhere else but you are not part of those lives you are at best part of the life that is happening on your ship or mm. train or you know whatever else and so everything is going on without you mm. you are by necessity removed yeah and, and your own experiences kind of to some extent happen without you as well like there's a you know if you load up your own profile you can see how many members of your crew have ever died and i moused over it and there's a line like you know writing um letters of condolence is becoming rather rote which is sort of like a, a lovely i think that's where i put it it's like those little moments of insight into what the character might be feeling but they're sort of just left there for you to discover you're not forced to experience them or or consider them more than it's quite a self-directed experience in that regard i think the only exception is the terror system yeah that's true that um and and i think it applies to your crew and mm. you as a whole so i think the the sense is actually of the the unit being afraid or the mm. the team yeah and and then you know weird things can start to happen or bad things can start to happen if you overload your terror meter so yeah and you also have your i think the yeah terror is, is a kind of a bit like it's a bit like fuel or or supplies it's like a general measure for the the train whereas your nightmares are more specific to you how far mm. along you are the nightmare track is is something specifically going wrong with all right um with your understanding of mm. the scary space business yeah 
It's very good. It's very good. Really like, and, and I've been sort of impatient to get back to it all day. Actually, I've got it's, it's gotten its mm. its hooks into me now. Partly because, um, yeah, and, and you just mentioned, you know, the the life of the cities um, being a big part of it, and I agree. And something that I've definitely found, maybe just anecdotally, but I've definitely found that returning to ports has been more consistently rewarding mm. than I have found in previous fail better things. So, you know, often you return hoping to find a new option that wasn't there before. And there just seem like there are far more moving parts now in terms of things that can okay. be on or off when you go back to a port. Um, and mm-hmm. that's really gratifying because it means that, you know, in the middle of maybe doing something relatively rote, like running a trading route between two ports, you then find that there's something that's slightly different. And that, um, that's really key, I think, to making it, um, make, making you always pay attention to what's being described. I think I have that to look forward to because of getting into such a precarious survival mm. situation so early on even with the difficulty slightly uh, adjusted it was very much a kind of eking out the things that i had and just about making it back to port and then just about going out to a place to get a port report that would then fund me being able to get slightly further yeah yeah so um yeah so that's what i spent my first few hours doing but i think it's testament to the game that i didn't just think oh sod it i'll start a new save file it was very much nope i'm gonna make this work yeah and you know i'm not that kind of player Mm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, it's, um, it's definitely rewards you for keeping pushing at it. Mm. Um, it hasn't sort of gotcha'd me with like suddenly running out of something important yet. Mm. And, and I, I appreciate that a lot because I want to be spooked, but I don't want to be stopped. That's my rule for all <laughs> things. <laughs> well, all right then. <laughs> I was going to talk about Wargroove, which came out this week. Mm. So, um, Wargroove is a, uh, advanced wars style, um, turn-based strategy game, uh, that Chucklefish just released. Um, I, I remember talking about it on the- Chucklefishing, Chucklefishing. <laughs> Why didn't you write their logo jingle thing? <laughs> Because that's a copyright infringement. <laughs> it is. And that's why we've both asked and answered the question. Um, so, um, I played it at Res two years ago and I talked about it on the live pod we did way back when. And, um, was I on that one? you were. <laughs> and I don't remember a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and yeah, it's just come out. Um, and I really like it. It's so it is a, um, if you basically, obviously, PC podcast, so worth explaining that Advance Wars was a kind of, kind of lo-fi turn-based tactics game for the Game Boy way back when. This is, um, kind of similar in terms of some core mechanics, like, um, it's about moving across a relatively small map, kind of capturing buildings to generate resources, and then, um, positioning your units, uh, to do attacks. And basically every, in a given turn, every unit can do a move and a thing, and that can be move and capture, move and resupply itself, move and attack, etc. Um, but it's, it feels a lot more sort of elegant than I think Advanced Wars was, at least in my memory of it. Um, so, you know, there are some sort of con- consistent themes like unit damage is basically linked to how much health they have in the first case. So attacking first is always better. So when two units attack, you see them rush towards each other and then whoever's the attacker goes first and then whoever's left attacks back. And it's, you know, if you're ever frustrated by tactics games with a random element, it's meticulously fair. So there's no chance element in terms of how much damage will be done. It's always based on factors that you can control. So, and those factors are quite deep. So if a unit is standing on a mountain when it attacks, it will have a defensive bonus, which means you'll take less on the return attack. Units also have kind of like rock, paper, scissors style matchups. So knights are very good against archers i think and and so on and then every unit also has a um like a condition in which it will do critical damage so it'll do more damage so pikemen do critical damage if they're standing next to other pikemen a pikeman being a man holding a three foot long fish um <laughs> that will kill you <laughs> indeed um and like archers do critical damage if they uh don't move in the turn that they fire so if they don't have to if you don't have to move them they'll do a crit whereas knights do more damage if they move their maximum movement distance before attacking um and so there's all these different considerations which are really cool um and 
and it's really like elegant in and of itself and lightweight enough that you pick up the kind of fundamentals quite quickly but there's loads of units like there's loads going on there's sea units you have mer people battle turtles that kind of thing. You've got flying units like harpies and witches and dragons and, and ground units, which include dogs, which I'm almost avoiding talking about the battle dogs because I talked about them exclusively the first time I talked about it. Yeah. And there's more to the game than battle dogs. However, they're very, very good. Um, there's like, there's lots of really good, uh, I will talk about the battle dogs. Um, <laughs> I knew it. Battle dogs are fast and can see very far. So putting a dog on a mountain is how you can tell what your enemy is doing. <laughs> 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 um, they also do critical damage if they're attacking someone who's also near another battle dog and in an extremely good decision by whoever um it's a it's a all pixel art but it's beautifully animated it's really lovely and charming very cartoony cute um the battle dogs when they they don't die mm. um every other unit if they get defeated in combat like falls backwards and vanishes and turns into a ghost um and you sometimes see that on the campaign map with the dogs but in the game, whenever a dog takes enough damage to be removed, it just runs away back Aww. the way it came. So you, they just flee. They always, you, you never Aww, see a dog doggos. seriously yeah, wounded, um, yeah. which is very, as it should be. Good. Um, but a, a neat thing is, as overwhelming as that sort of overview can sound, mm. there are a bunch of different factions, but they're basically just skins for all of those units. Yeah. So there are like the kind of tree people and, you know, the undead and stuff, and they just have their own versions of it. So the tree people have little battle frogs instead of battle dogs. Um, the undead have, uh, little skeleton dogs, which are very cute. Um, and the thing that makes factions different is your hero. And so in a kind of multiplayer game or a matched game, it's about you lose when you lose your stronghold, which is a big building at the back, or you lose your hero. And the heroes are really, really powerful units that you, um, that behave like any other ground unit, but have each have a special ability called a groove, which is triggered when they, I think, land in a final blows or it charges over time as well. And that is kind of what differentiates playstyles to some extent, but it's felt relatively lightweight. But the good thing about that is it, I think I spoke about this on a previous episode, but it has allowed them to build a kind of matched battle game that is entire, pretty much entirely fair because hero specifics notwithstanding, both, it's like chess, both people have the same units yeah. and the maps in, in like multiplayer and things are usually symmetrical. So it's very much a kind of just a, um, quite accessible, but interesting thinky tactics game. Hmm. Um, the best, hero for two reasons is caesar the dog um one reason is because uh he is a dog um who just woofs he can't talk but he is for some reason a commander and i very much appreciate the the a fact that they tactician. they don't explain <laughs> why people will follow this dog's orders it they just do um but also in combat the dog doesn't do the fighting himself to be he, fair you have a dog and you follow his orders. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah i think it's a very on point it's, <laughs> it's very accurate um uh, when you d- uh, indicate for Caesar to attack somebody, he, he runs up to them, barks, and then his two bodyguards appear and then shoot whoever it is with crossbows after patting him on the head. And Caesar Aww. just rolls around on his belly in the background having a good time. <laughs> it's really good. And Caesar's ability is really powerful. Um, he can um, trigger inspiration in all of the people around him, which allows them to act again, which can be really, really powerful. Mm. So, you know, a really good strategy is a to like, good boy. is to surround, is to flank the dog on all sides with trebuchets and unleash a kind of devastating hail of artillery fire because everyone's so impressed by the dog. It's a machine gun dog. It's very good. Um, it's very good. The only thing about it that I haven't really, so uh, it has, and it's really generous as well with the amount of stuff to do. So there's like, um there's uh, multiplayer there's arcade mode which is basically like a um you know fighting game style arcade mode where you play battles against other heroes one after another mm. there's a light plot but it really is just sort of multiplayer style matched battles and there's a puzzle mode which is where you have like one turn to kind of think your way out of a impossible situation mm. which is really cool but all of this stuff is unlocked by playing the campaign and i found the campaign a bit hit and miss. So I wanted to talk about all the fundamentals first, because I think it, it's really, really solid. Mm. And I really like it. Um, but the campaign itself, um, has, has good moments and it's, and it certainly teaches you all the basics, but it takes a quite a lot of time over teaching you. Um, which I think might be necessary because, you know, there's a lot to figure out initially. But the other reason that the campaign is, is, is fairly slow is, um, it's quite heavy on story early and quite writing heavy and quite cutsceney. In fact, the whole game is quite cutsceney, even though arcade mode has quite a lot of talking. And the writing is like often like 
fine. It's, mm. it's, you know, there are some good jokes, but it's very gentle. Not, there's nothing, it's not ever laugh out loud funny. It's, 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 it's going for charming, mm. but there's a lot of it. And, um, it's quite a derivative story. Like the characters are very kind of nicely drawn and well realized, but, um, it's, there's nothing, you know, sort of particularly new or original about the kind of fantasy story it's telling or anything like that. So it doesn't earn the amount of time you spend pressing A yeah. to, uh, um, well, I'm playing with a pad, but you know, clicking to just get mm-hmm. through it. Um, which is a shame because I appreciate that like it's, it leans hard on how charming its characters are. And it's that thing for me where it's like these characters would be basically just as charming just through the way they look and sound and where they're animated. Yeah. They almost don't need the layers of writing and quite a lot of law in a codex that, <laughs> I feel guilty for not reading, but I also don't really you want love to. Law. You should be the ideal audience. <laughs> I do, but I like, um, I like feeling like there's something for me to discover when I go into the codex because I want to know more about the world. Mm. Whereas this is very much like your kingdom has fallen. The bad people are coming. You must go on a journey to find the thing you need to defeat the bad guy. Like it's, you know, it's not, it's a tricky balance of, I don't like lore in a context where the purpose of the story is, as far as I can tell, nostalgia, mm. like nostalgia for old JRPGs or for a particular type of fantasy story. Mm. Like, I don't really need to know more about this world because I feel like I know everything about it already because I've seen so many settings like it. Mm. So, but, um, and also the campaign missions can be quite grueling. Like they can really become a bit of a slog and that's a shame when you're using them to unlock mm. the other stuff. But the, those caveats notwithstanding, um, it's a really nice, elegant little strategy game and there's also the um the custom map editor isn't there yeah maybe like if the campaign mode is really not for you then you could find i'm assuming the community will turn out some interesting things as well totally yeah like i can see myself basically keeping on with the campaign until i get really bored Mm. and then just playing arcade mode with whatever characters i happen to have unlocked by that point Mm. Um, which is you know it's it's great that they've um, done the thing that I really like strategy game developers doing, which is make sure the fundamentals are strong enough to support three different versions of the same game. It's just, I sort of wish you had equal access to all of them rather than having to play the campaign to, mm. to get to them. They might tweak it. They might do. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But yeah, Wargroove is, um, is really good. And it's also right now. So yeah, kind of a wash with surprisingly good games, which is unusual for this time of year, but it's very yeah, good. Excellent. So we are not going to do uh, the customary full question section this week because it's just me and Pip and many of you writing with questions that would benefit from the insight of at least one Tom and maybe <laughs> Alex. Um, but we did think we would answer one question that we got because it's very pertinent to Pip and I, which is from Erin, uh, who writes, are you still doing little grey cells? Kind of, as in um, it is on an annoying hiatus that neither of us planned for because uh, both of us had changes in work and personal circumstances that basically made sitting down to record a couple of them in a weekend so that we could actually start to create a bit of a a backlog just wasn't viable. Um, And so it's one of those things where we, if we'd, if this had been a thing that we had planned for we wouldn't have recorded just that lone (laughs) episode (laughs) in a new format it was more that that was the the start of something and then it got derailed and we kept hoping that it would become underailed and we would suddenly have free time to actually sit and and do it and then that you know weeks turned into months kind of thing which is i'm i'm genuinely sorry about that yeah i'm sorry about it too like i I really love doing it and i'd like to get back to it like i think we we did that season two episode right at the end of august and the back three months of 2018 were easily the busiest i have ever been like you know I, i had a real um run of big projects so i just have no time and that's yeah so apologies from me sense of uh the wonders of magazine journalism um usually we get four weeks to produce an issue uh, and the last couple that i have done have been three weeks basically and so that's been fun <laughs> yeah indeed <laughs> which rather impacts time for anything else and oh it's so annoying and i'm genuinely sorry and hopefully we can yeah 
but yeah. think of something else soon because we like it as well. Something that I think um, I would be interested in while we figure that stuff mm. out is if anybody has feedback on whether they liked the, the new format. That would be yeah. interesting. Think back to August 2018. To basically maybe re-download it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, because that was us trying to figure out a shape that, that worked and kept the episodes a manageable size after the uh, the episodes of the show itself will fairly soon spiral into things that don't really work for a blow-by-blow mm. recap. So um, yeah, I think let us know that stuff that would be genuinely useful and then we will try and figure something out and make more of a long-term plan for it so it doesn't slip again yeah totally and um otherwise we will simply be back with another episode of the crate and crowbar um hopefully next friday back on the normal schedule mm. apologies again this one was a little bit late hope you've enjoyed our mildest indie takes <laughs> If you'd like, games, if yeah. you'd like to send us a, yes, very good game. So you'd like to send us a question for next week's episode, you can do so by emailing us at questions at createandcrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at create and crowbar. You can, uh, find our video versions of the podcast at YouTube, uh, youtube.com forward slash create and crowbar. And thank you as ever to our Patreon backers. If you would like to find out more about the create and crowbar Patreon, you can find it at patreon.com forward slash create and crowbar. That's all the earls. I've done all the earls now. <laughs> It's time to go away. Well, indeed. And you can go to the skies. Take to the skies. Or, or the ground. Oh, that's true. Or indeed, or deep, but deep below the sea. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening, everybody. <laughs>